Hello everyone, welcome to Pence Politics with Mr. Watson. I am most certainly your host, Forever Eternally, Christian Watson, and today we have three groundbreaking topics we have to explore. It's been a very busy news week, guys. It's been a very, for me, it's been a very pensive time. It's just, everything that's going on is just so turbulent and crazy and fickle that we have to hone our minds to actually understanding these things before we engage with them in political conversation. Uh, so we're talking about Black Lives Matter. Is it really a revolutionary force? There's an idea that Black Lives Matter indeed is the primary, the most righteous and virtuous revolutionary force fighting against the injustices of the day in the best and most effective way. And those injustices are, according to them, but not limited to housing disparities, uh, police disparities, and overall economic disparities. Those are injustices in their opinion. We'll see if that's true up here on Pensive Politics. Also, this is crazy, Jerry Falwell Jr., the former president, I guess now, of Liberty University, was caught doing something very salacious in a photo, and there was a woman next to him who was not his wife, who was also just salaciously. We're going to talk about the, pri the death of sanctimony and why sanctimony itself and hypocrisy itself does not bode well for people in positions of power, especially in those who are positions of, indeed, moral authority. It just does not bode well whatsoever, especially for people that in the, try to pose an example, a moral example, so to speak, uh, for all of us to follow, and those happen to be people uh, like Mr. Jerry Falwell Jr. And then, of course, we will discuss the new sanctions against Carrie Lam, the executive of Hong Kong, the, the sort of a leading officer over there. The United States Department of State, the State Department just imposed some new sanctions on her. And so we'll see if those sanctions are merited, if they actually are effective, if they are just, and even if those sanctions fall in line with the American pedagogy on Hong Kong, the current American stance, or I suppose the government stance on Hong Kong. Without further ado, guys, let's get right into Pensive Politics with Mr. Watson. All right, so... Over the past few months, guys, you have heard me opine on this issue several times. Black lives matter, indeed. I have been asked numerous times, innumerable times actually, Christian, what do you think of black lives matter? Now, me being a black man, there is this, off, there is this default assumption that as a black man, I automatically support everything the group does. And if I don't, I'm a sellout, I'm a traitor, I'm all kind of abysmal things that you wouldn't utter in nice company and that you would not utter if you were genuinely interested in philosophical rigor and truth. But regardless of what I might be incidentally, what I am objectively, whenever I question any standard, any movement, I am a prudent individual. And when you embody the fire of prudence, when I say fire, guys, I mean fire in the sense of the dynamic something, the dynamic and ever-changing essence of something, right? So if I have an idea and it's dynamic, it flows, it's not contingent upon one thing. It can be anything or the next thing within a second or a minute. When I say fire, I'm talking about diamondism, change, because to change is to grow and to live is to grow. And if you do not live, or if you do not grow, rather, you do not live. 
So that is why I use the word fire. People are like, you speak so idiosyncratically and so, and are anachronistically and all kind. Well, because these are things that need to be injected back into the political dialogue with intelligent, prudent commentary. So when you engage with that fire, right, that fire of change, that fire of diamondism, you not only allow yourself as a human being to grow, you also allow the concepts that you allow to reside in your head, in your intellectual house, on your intellectual foundation to mature and grow as well. So whenever I challenge Black Lives Matter, I'm not just doing that to be a contrarian. I mean, contrarianism, for the sake of contrarianism, people know I believe this, is not very wise. Contrarianism, for the sake of contrarianism, is actually quite baleful in its effects. Because it turns you into a reactionary. And reactionaries don't care about the truth. They care about getting a desired result in a particular temporal space. I'm not a reactionary. I'm a truth seeker. I'm a, as, uh, as, as a... Very famous person from Princeton said, I'm a blues man of the soul, right? I want my story to come out, to interact with the truth, and to see, as Emerson said, if my story, if my narrative be goodness, if it be truth, if it be righteousness, and if it not be righteousness, if it not be goodness, we must cast it away. But if it be righteousness, if it be goodness, we need to keep that and use it as a tool for change. So yes. I am critical of Black Lives Matter because I believe in that dynamic potential each and every one of us have to grow by questioning that critical thinking, that Socratic axiom. And that's what I believe in. So yes, I'm critical of the movement. Uh, and I'm also even more critical of how the movement phrases itself, how it frames itself in its activities. The movement frames itself almost as a sort of white knight, as a sort of, oh, well, we are the oppressed here, we are the victims here, and this, what we are fighting, will be the end result if we get our goals. It'll be the end result, and the end result will be, yes, no more oppression or very little oppression, a restored, renewed, non-lethargic black body, as they would say, a restored, renewed, non-murderous, non-injustice-ridden criminal justice system. I mean, these are the things they fight for as a whole. Now, the movement itself on the website, they fight for a variety of things, including the abolition of the capitalist system. But let's not get into that, because uh, I, I, I do think there is a distinction between the movement and, indeed, the idea. But, again, the idea of Black Lives Matter itself is also quite baleful, and it's just philosophically inept for several reasons. So, but the primary issue I want to address is their idea that they are revolutionary, right? We are going to overthrow this modicum, this system, this framework of injustice, and by doing so, as I mentioned before, obtain social harmony, obtain a better future, a better mode of being, a better social conditioning, a better state of, 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 my, of thinking a be for black people. That is the key assumption of this sort of idea stuff. That is the key assumption of it. And so, whenever you have a revolution, you need to think, you need to ask yourselves, what are they revolutionizing? Or more specifically, what are they revolting against? What is Black Lives Matter revolting against? Are they revolting against injustice? Very, they very well could be. But the best thing is, guys, no one has a monopoly on, on injustice or the fight against injustice. No one does. 
that is not reserved for a particular thought of political thinking. That is not reserved to a particular movement or in temporal space. The fight for justice itself is universal. It is independent of temporary political situations, largely. Now, of course, it acts in temporary political situations. Now, here's what I mean when I say that. To believe that justice is the ultimate value is to believe that that is true regardless of the circumstance. To believe that injustice is the ultimate vice is to believe that is true regardless of any political circumstance. But to believe that you as a movement, that you as a person are the primary Achilles heel, the primary death knell of either of those concepts, whether you are for justice or against justice, if you're against justice, then you shouldn't be listening to me, or whether you are for justice or against injustice. Again, if you are for injustice, you probably shouldn't be listening to me. <laughs> if you believe that that resides in you, you are diminishing the power and the meaning of concepts by rooting them to the temporary. Justice is an eternal concept. Injustice, unfortunately, is also an equally eternal concept. What Black Lives Matter does is it roots the concept of justice or pursuing justice to them, monopolizes it, and then when anyone else tries to have an opinion or a thought about how to proceed against the fight, uh, or proceed in the fight against injustice, what happens? They are to be subject to a particular set of criteria that is almost politically motivated, in fact, it entirely is, and if they disagree, they are either a racist, a pseudo-racist, as Gore Vidal called Buckley, a crypto-Nazi, a, a, a white-splainer, a man-splainer, whatever gem, or I should probably say molded, decayed rust you want to derive from the modern-day progressive lexicon of victim phrases and of shaming phrases, whatever you want to say, that's what those who, as Emerson said, challenge goodness will be subject to. They will be subject to vile, torturous rhetoric simply because they go against that which you which you assume to be able to embody in your cosmic quest, as Thomas Sowell said. Against injustice. When concepts become temporary, the fight is over. The fight is over because when concepts become temporary, you have a false sense of revolution. So Black Lives Matter, on that basis, and the basis of rooting concepts to themselves and trying to monopolize the fight or the struggle for or against certain things, they are quite literally... Shutting down the conversation and hijacking our ability as prudent people to arrive to our own conclusions to these ma on, on these matters. That's what they do. That's what they're doing. Seriously, that is what Black Lives Matter is doing by sort of speaking so sanctimoniously. And so, when you have that. You don't have revolution, or at least not in the sense, the true sense of revolution. You have what the ever most prescient and brilliant Rose Wilder Lane, the daughter of Laura Ingalls Wilder, who 
created one of the most divine expressions of Americanism. Little House on the Prairie said, Lane said, you have a revolution in the sense that their actions or their movement revolves like a real revolves around its axis. It's revolutionary in the sense that it goes in a circle. It keeps to a cycle. But it never shadows the cycle. It never shatters the matrix. America shattered the cycle. The American Revolution, which was by all intents and purposes a true revolution, perhaps one of the few true revolutions in the history of modern-day civilization, they shattered the cycle. The cycle of creative mediocrity, because before America lost civilization, creativity was tied to the king. It was tied to the country. It was tied to a sense of, of, of almost indulgent nationalism that no one who disagreed, A, they wouldn't even be alive to speak their dissent, or B, would never have been given the chance to exceed and proceed with their will to embody and inflict upon this earth the innermost contents of their mind. That's number one. America broke that chain of intellectual mediocrity and slavishness, of obsequiousness, which simply means that servile stuff, that servile nonsense, that slavish, complacent stuff, that lower order mindset. Then, as Locke said, vile estate of man. About that's, he was talking about slavery when he said that. Which is another good point. America also set the standard for the entire world. Or I say Americans, not America. Americans, because America is basically a landmass. Americans are what make the ideas the landmass was founded upon virtuous or, or what keep them true. Americans broke the shackle of slavery. The abolitionist movement was one of the most, if not the most, superlative. Powerful rebukes to slavery in the history of the practice. America broke the cycle of static ownership. And economists have noted this for a very long time. Economists have noted that in America, so many things go to waste, but they are immediately reproduced. But in a lot of countries before America was around, especially before the Industrial Revolution, which, you know, had some of its roots over in England and everything, but it, all, but it was more magnetized in America because of how free we were with our economy at that point. We're able to replenish that waste, but other places weren't able to do that because they had a static mindset about how resources were owned, were, were owned. America quite literally broke monopolies, controls over concepts, liberated those controls, liberated those monopolies, and applied them in the spirit of that Jeffersonian adage, in the spirit of natural rights. So when you say revolution... I'm thinking to myself, there is no greater revolution in the history of the world than the American Revolution. 
The French tried to emulate us, but they failed, and they were not pursuing higher order ideals. And so when I see Black Lives Matter say this is a revolution, I'm just thinking to myself, no, you are revolving in a cycle. A cycle that prioritizes victimhood. A, a cycle that prioritizes intellectual mediocrity in the sense that you cannot question your precepts without being deemed or invalidated as a racist or what have you. A cycle that does not encourage or importune, and it simply means to urge someone to, importune someone to greatness, but instead importunes them to static thinking. A cycle that seeks to use the government as a bludgeoned against those who disagree with you, and seeks to use the government as a vector for the dilution of the spark of human energy and human greatness that each and every one of us possesses. Why do I say this? Okay, the defund the police idea. That primarily was predicated upon a desire to shift funds from police officers in police departments and put them in community programs. A lot of these community programs included welfare initiatives. Welfare destroys the soul. We should help people who are in need, yes. We as individuals. But we should not be expected to acquiesce to an already unethical institution, i.e. the government who collects our resources in a grievous, unethical way, and then you use that institution for virtue. No. No. The government has the government exists for a purpose to protect rights. But taxation and all that kind of stuff, of course, is already on shaky ground. It's already quite unethical. You're simply going to use unethicality to produce more unethicality. Concepts cannot be canceled out by their likeness. Poverty cannot be canceled out by another form of poverty. Poverty of the mind. Poverty of the mind is precisely what these community reinvestment programs that so many Black Lives Matter activists purport will work do. Poverty of the mind is an infection that, 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 that in the true Marxian sense prioritizes and idolizes the material at neglect and expense for the spiritual. That is why I can't support Black Lives Matter. Simply because I cannot acquiesce to this conceptual tinkering any longer. I cannot acquiesce to the death of free speech and critical discussion. Amongst politically consequential moments. I cannot acquiesce. Listen to me carefully. Very carefully. I cannot and I will not acquiesce. To coercion. Violence. Or intimidation. As modes for political change. Since they are vectors for the destruction of the soul. I cannot acquiesce. To welfare driven solutions that do nothing to actually help people be productive and everything to keep them enslaved into a certain mindset. I cannot acquiesce, my friends, to a continued narrative that does not take into account a wide swath 
of ideals, but instead clings to those ideals, which confirms its own biases. I cannot acquiesce, my friends, to the continued destruction of an experiment that has been flawed in many ways, yes. There's a lot of work to do, the American experiment. But has the most potential out of any other experiment done on this earth to produce the greatest, safest, resolute, stalwart action for the securing of individual rights. I cannot and I will not acquiesce to an orgy of destruction that threatens to do nothing more and take us all with it. It's not going to happen. There are issues that Black Lives Matter raise that we need to address. Police brutality, yes. Militarism, yes. But how we address those issues is almost just as important as those issues. If you see police brutality as a race issue and not an aggression issue, you'll never fix the problem. If you see militarism or disparities in general as a race issue and not a, na- a, a extension of the human nature, of our human nature, so to speak, you'll never actually fix the true ill or address the true ill. You'll be shooting in the dark or shooting at a target that was never really intended to be your target. That's all on Black Lives Matter. Jerry Falwell Jr., my lord. See, I don't like to talk a lot about people because people are, as my mother always said, are imperfect. They are temporal. But Jerry Falwell Jr. has anointed himself as the moral progenitor, the moral emissary of greatness, of, 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 of everything that the current evangelical movement in the United States represents. And so... When he was caught, or not caught, when he was photographed with his pants unzipped, with his arm right next to a lady who he, after the incident happened, deemed a sweetheart, this is a married man, when he did all of that, I thought to myself, not the banal thoughts that most political observers think, oh, he's a hypocrite, ha ha ha, no, 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 because guess what, as my friend always says, Hypocrisy, when someone uses hypocrisy in place of an argument, they've lost their argument. Because arguments refer to ideals. And ideals stand independent of the human who is propagating them. Listen to me. So, if Jerry Fowell Jr. said, hey, smoking is bad for you, it can kill you, then he just goes, takes out a pack, pack of Newports or American Indian and just lights it up, is what he said any less true? You can criticize him for not following his own words for not practicing what he preaches, as the old just said, but you can't say that what he's saying is wrong because it stands independent of him. So if Jerry Fowler Jr. says, oh, promiscuity is bad, Christianity is falling into this death in America, you know, we need to rise up, religious liberty is dead, all these things he said in the past, you can disagree with them, but disagree with them on the merits that his claims are wrong, not because the claim maker managed to embarrass himself. That's my big issue with this. That people oftentimes tie arguments 
into people, and that is a pernicious form of ad hominem. Actually, that is ad hominem. That's not a particular subtype. That is ad hominem. That's basically what it is. That's what it is, and I don't like it at all. It's, it's bad. <laughs> so, amid his, his, his plight, amid his plight, we've got to understand that people have indeed have, do indeed have flaws. And Jerry Falwell, should he be, should Jerry Falwell, and I'm, and I'm referencing my phone because I'm about to read a quote here. Should Jerry Falwell be someone who we lambast? Should he be someone whom we extend an opposite action towards, right? Opposite of what, if you're a Christian like me, Christ commands us to extend? Because in these incidences, even though Falwell is a political enemy to many people, and I myself, I'm ambivalent on the man. I don't. I, I think that his university has some pretty terrible policies. But as as far as Falwell himself, I'm ambivalent on the man. I don't. I, I don't get involved in personalities. But if I were a political opponent of Falwell, as I guess in some instances I am, would it be advantageous or even correct for me to say, "Hey, he did this. Therefore, all of his positions are now invalid." No, no, it would not be. And so, but this is just, it this kind of demonstrates what I was trying to say about this entire thing. So, right after this photo was taken, Falwell said, he said the following. He said that the woman in the video is a sweetheart, and this is from NPR, I'll send the link in the description, and expressed regret, regret about embarrassing her. And he, he said he'd apologize to everybody, and he promised to try to be a good boy from now on. He had his... No, this is a man who had his pants unzipped and was looking at the camera and smiling. And his justification is even a little bit more odd, in my opinion. His justification for this was that uh, his police said to a Lynchburg, Virginia radio station, WLNI, on Wednesday after he took the photo. It was weird, Fowell told the interviewer. She's pregnant. So she couldn't get her pants zipped. I had a pair of jeans I hadn't worn in a long time, so I couldn't get mine zipped either. So I just put my belly out like hers. So so he, he, he tried to emulate a, a, a pregnant woman because he thought it would make himself seem more socially viable. That is the real story. That conformity affects even the highest among us in scenarios in which it is quite negligible. Being at a place on a boat and being in company with people who aren't, don't have political power or are not particularly that institutionally or socially important does not compel you to emulate them. But I guess Jerry Falwell, at the seat of his heart is a desire to be liked. And that is the human condition. That is really an issue we have to fight because it manifests in pernicious social forms and it causes stuff like this to occur. Anyway, Carrie Lam, the executive of Hong Kong, was just sanctioned by the United States. If she has any property that is in possession of United States persons or the or in... The country itself, it is now frozen, blocked, and divested from her ownership. This was, of course, in response to a national security bill uh, that she has supported that China has uh, implemented, which punishes, subverses, or insurrective activities. 
which precludes a lot of the quote-unquote uh, the, the protests in Hong Kong, which the Chinese Politburo has incessantly deemed subversive and insurrectionist. You see, when you control when you control the when you control definitions like these governments do, uh, uh, via the use of a gun, via the use of force, what you say is what it is, even if it's not really what it is. You create a sort of subjective, postmodernist sense of reality that only you, and only you, or the track that you follow in this sense, the sort of communist manifesto, which was uh, filtered through the Maoist revolution, which is now filtered through Mao's example in his statements, such as political power emerges from the barrel of a gun, which is precisely the principle which is on display in this instance of injustice and anti-liberty in Hong Kong. When you have all that behind you, and no one can speak out against it, the world is yours. So, but the question is, are sanctions the best way to handle injustice? Is injustice... The best way to handle injustice, and the answer is no. N-O, never, ever, ever, no. Sanctions are an infringement upon property rights, number one. They're an infringement upon an individual's ability to voluntarily trade or exchange or engage in, pro in transactions with people who they like, people who they want to engage with, and that is just a that destroys a key part of our ability to live our lives. Transactions are ingrained into the fabric of human interaction. So for the government to try to attack the fabric of human inter interaction goes not only beyond its purview, but it's also quite presumptuous. It is quite presumptuous. And so we should stop being presumptuous. We should let Carrie Lamb and her friends or whatever reap what they're sowing. Because what China is sowing in Hong Kong is not good for them. They know it's not good for them. Let the principles that exist outside of the confines of institutional levers decide this issue. Do not sanction, allow principles, allow reality to take its course. That's my two cents on that. Anyway, guys, thank you for listening so much. I appreciate it. Wherever you're listening, if it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Google Podcasts, we are so many different platforms. It's just a whirlwind. This podcast has grown so much from the begin the end of March, Mar February end of February, actually. February 26th, I believe. And then, yes, I'm saying I believe because I don't really, I think that February 26th was the exact date. But I know at the end of February, I, I interviewed Madison Moore and everything for Joe Biden. And that's gone. That's that's gone. I mean, he's doing, he's doing his thing, too. He's just, man, he's just lethargic in the mind, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, and so this, since this podcast's inception, I am so happy. I am so, so happy that we have gotten more listeners, that I have affected people, that I have reached out, that I've touched people, because guess what? That's what this is about. This is about doing just that. And so before I leave, I'm going to be on the Mike Miller show very soon around next week. Look for that. The Mike Miller show is a podcast, an Apple podcast. They have some good stuff, guys. I encourage you to listen to them. They are just, if you want raw, undiluted, undiluted, pure intellectual honesty, you will not have a better candidate than the Mike Miller show. They are just absolutely excellent. I will be on there. I'll be talking with them. <clears throat> and I can't reveal too many details quite yet, but we'll be talking to them. And uh, it'll, be, it'll be good. It'll be good. So tune in for that. Tune in for my writing. I'm going to start writing more. Yes, indeed. Uh, I have a, a, a partnership with The Daily Bell, which is an awesome publication as well, run by Joe Jarvis, who has a YouTube channel. I encourage you to subscribe to his channel as well. And I'll be writing much more for them. I'll be doing some freelance work as well. We're going to keep pushing along, keep chugging along, so that this dream of me being a commentator can indeed happen and can indeed be real, realized and fulfilled. 
Um, but, guys, until next time, as always, I urge you, I beseech you, I importune you, in that spirit of pensiveness, to please, guys, please, 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 stay pensive.